Been in his shoes. He was being very polite about that, I will say. Paging Sterling, Sterling to the panelists' seats, calling Sterling. Right, no, no, you're talking about the smart thing. <laughs> Ooh, I got the magic, I got the mojo. I call for him and he comes, you know. Oh, look at me, I got it tonight. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. You're seated. Just as a heads up, bathrooms go that way to the right, and, you know, they're right there, so. Mm -hmm. Now's your uh, last chance, all right? Don't get up in the middle. We're recording right there. We don't need to see their, your head going by, all right? <laughs> We're very formal. We're formal here, everybody. That's right. I'll say, you sit. <laughs> all right. Yeah, no, I think we're, is, uh, can you hear me? I, I don't know if Wesley, does this work? Okay, so it works. Yeah, yeah, sorry. So first of all, Welcome. We're so glad that you guys are here actually in person. You know, you braved the weather, you know, you braved the traffic. And also for us, it's actually a milestone because we have not done an in-person IRL event in three years. And we've actually, we talked about this specific one. Jen and I talked about this like over three years ago. And unfortunately, I got to work very closely with Alyssa and we actually toured Second Home, which we're going to talk a little bit more about. Um, and we, 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 this is how naive we were, like after COVID hit, we're like, oh, we'll just tour this place, we'll have one in a couple months. You know, who knew three, three years later, you know, that this would take this long. You know, we've done everything virtually in between, you know, but this is actually the first time we've done it in, like, in real life, which is actually nice to see people in person. Um, the thing is, is that, um, the, also, the other thing too is, is that the reason we find this is really important is that with, with this industry that we're in, it really is a relationship business and there's nothing better than to actually meet in person, which is another reason why these type of events in person are really important. You know, and also you're here to like a, learn something but also to kind of help each other out. Um, and also we're just really excited about doing this experiential event. Another reason we want to do it in person is it's hard to do an experiential event. You know, you can do it virtually, which we're gonna talk about and we're gonna see some examples, but we felt like what a better place than actually to do it here at Second Home, which is an experience in and of itself. Um, the one thing that we kind of talked about is, um, we talked about the panel, but you know, we talk about the importance of this creative community that we're all in and, you know, and we're here to kind of help each other out. So if, when you do get the chance, after we saw people um, networking beforehand, also even afterwards, feel free to introduce each other to, each, to yourselves, to the people you sit next to, and because you never know 
who that next person was going to be to help you with, which projects you're going to work on. Um, over the years that we put these panels together, we've seen so many examples of people actually working together and getting great opportunities. And I just want to kind of like do a quick call out also to Billy Moon right here, who's an incredible unit photographer. You know, he actually has connected a lot of people here through these events. And I've gotten to know amazing people through Billy. And also, he's gotten to meet a lot of other people here too. So it just kind of shows you what this community is about and trying to make the stories that we're trying to tell really important and to get elevated and to actually get seen by audiences, you know, whether it's film or TV. This, just to give you a little background, just a quick sentence about the business of creating. Um, Jennifer and I, we both co-founded this uh, um, over three years ago, and it really kind of started off thanks to the inspiration of Jen with um, working very closely with women in film and putting together the mini upfronts. And I'll kind of give a little more background to Jen very shortly. Um, but it really started really organically, you know, and so it really is like a, we, we started organically talking about sizzle pieces and then pitch pieces, then it's about film festivals, unit photography. Um, animation, um, uh, graphic novels. If you want to talk about graphic novels, there's a gentleman here, David Booher, right there. You can wave. Um, he actually, we talked about the panels here. We talk about financing, production, just anything just to make, um, to be able to help the projects that we're trying to create um, a reality. Um, what we also wanted to actually do is thank our sponsors. We'll talk about final draft. We'll talk more about the end because we'll actually hand out final. How many do we have? Four? Thank you for asking, yes, Michael. Four, yeah. The answer is four. Everybody, yes, we're going to be giving away four full final draft digital downloads. Plus, uh, we have a 30% off code if, you know, you want to upgrade and all that good stuff. Thank you, thank you, final draft. Uh, we're actually going to do that. I know. Thank you, right? Round of applause for everybody for being here, for us, for people with knowledge, for Michael for being such a good speaker. And uh, But we're actually we're going to do that. We're going to send out the survey link tomorrow, and that tomorrow. way you have to fill out the survey. You all fill out your survey. Okay, I'm glad, I'm glad we're mom. doing that, because very often we do like a trivia quiz thing at the end, which yeah. has always got a little intense. So we're just going to do it by... <laughs> so we're like going to do it. <laughs> but we wanted to first of all thank Second Home and we want to thank Katya, Jenny, Gigi and Wesley who's handling the tech here. I don't know if Katya are you here? Do you want to just talk a little bit about Second Home? Because I know people from Second Home are here but some people are not familiar with this amazing location. So I don't know if you want to just uh, get I don't know if I need a mic. I think okay. everyone can hear me. Uh, my name is Katya. I'm the marketing director for Second Home. Um, we are a workspace and cultural venue with Four locations in London, one in Lisbon, and one here in Los Angeles. Um, if you're interested in memberships, private events, just a meeting room, or if you would like a tour of our two-acre property, let me know. Um, I can do that after. Yeah, can you just say, it, it, it is amazing. I know I spoke to some people. If you haven't been here and, and looked at it, I mean, this is a beautiful space right here, but if you want to go through the tropical gardens and see the pods, I'm just going to call them the pods, or like this hallucinogenic, like pineapple-colored type pod space, it's incredible. You know, it's just a really an experience in and of itself. Yeah. So, but we're, thank you very much for hosting us here. And finally, I'm going to hand this over to Jen, my beloved friend, and I just wanted to say, just give a little intro to Jen and then she's gonna moderate it, but Jen, Jennifer Mangan is a writer-producer who owns the independent production company, Beautiful Day Productions, which focuses on materials that uplifts and empowers women through comedy and sci-fi and fantasy. And by the way, these panels are very much about like trying to get uplifting our community overall, so it totally fits in exactly what she's doing. After graduating with distinction from UCLA Extension in Business and Management and Entertainment,
Jen co-founded and produced Women in Film Mini Upfront. Um, and that's how we got to know each other because she reached out to me at one time, which was an amazing organization. And really what they do is promote female content creators via red carpet industry screenings of trailers and sizzles for unproduced projects. Recognizing the need for creatives to gain practical advice and guidance from seasoned entertainment execs in order to market and sell their projects. Jen co-founded, it produces and moderates the panel series Business of Creating, which you're all here for. Currently, Jen's epic sci-fi fantasy television show Animal Magnetism is in development with Emmy-nominated executive producer Randy Greenberg, who's known for the Meg franchise, A Tale, Dark and Grim, Cowboys and Aliens, and actually has been a panelist in the past. So Jen is our wonderful moderator throughout the rest of this entire panel. Aww. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, you guys. As, as we were saying earlier, it's so much easier to talk about other people, and then you listen to what the people are saying about you, and you're like, really? Oh, I sound kind of good. Cool. Oh, who knew? <laughs> well, now let's talk about the really important people here, y'all. Look who's right next to me. Oh, look who's right next to me. Everybody, it is the female extraordinaire, Alyssa Bahadurian. Bahadurian. Oh my God, I practiced it 12 times and now it's on the camera, me mispronouncing it. We're gonna edit, we're gonna edit. So everybody, it's Alyssa Bahadurian. Alyssa is the Vice President, Head of Events and Experiences over at MGM Studios. She's been working for over a decade, so she's got a little experience and info, you guys. She's been doing events and creative experiences for over 10 years. Her experiential programs have impacted and amplified MGM's television and theatrical marketing initiatives on a global scale for tent poles such as James Bond, Rocky, House of Gucci, Respect, Licorice Pizza, Thelma and Louise, Vikings, The Handmaid's Tale, and more. Right? I can't wait to hear more from this woman. She's a champion for women in entertainment and founded MGM's first nonprofit female focused ERG designed to uplift the next generation of female executives by curating resources and networking opportunities for women in film and TV. Uh, Alyssa is also a voting member of the Television Academy, supporting creatives come Emmy season. Everybody, round of applause. It's Alyssa. <laughs> Sitting right next to her in the uh, soon-to-be hot seat, it's serial entrepreneur and performing multimedia artist Jay Rinsky. Jay is the founder and chief creative director of Emmy-nominated Little Cinema and Little Cinema Digital. Uh, through his leadership, Little Cinema has grown to win multiple awards, establish itself as a true pioneer in immersive and experiential events, and has grown to become the go-to agency for producing Hollywood's biggest hybrid and virtual events for the likes of Netflix, Disney, Warner Brothers, Paramount, HBO, <gasps> HBO Max, Amazon Studios, ABC, CBS, and Nat Geo. <laughs> okay, aren't we glad we got him tonight? <laughs> so Little Cinema has also expanded its reach globally into Europe, Latin America, and Asia through its Netflix partnership. Jay's true talent lies in his ability to creatively connect, direct, and bring together a collection of different ideas, talents, and technologies into singular, spectacular outcomes. Everybody, let's give it up for Jay! Okay, yeah, we're getting a lot of hot seats, a lot of hot seats here. That's why I'm standing still. Everybody, check it out. Sterling Milan is with us tonight. Sterling Milan, everybody. Uh-huh, this is the name you want to know for the vast VR landscape. 
In 2022 alone, Sterling moved the goalpost of what VR experiences can be as he executive produced the wildly popular Post Malone 12K Toothache VR concert. And that was for Meta's Metaverse. Additionally, in 2022, Sterling helmed and directed Meta's New York, New York, New Year's Eve, uh, spectacular in the metaverse. Now, in addition to that, the man is obviously busy because he is the president of the, excuse me, he is the head of original content for Westbrook Media. That is, of course, the company owned and operated by Will and Jada Pinkett Smith. He has more than 20 years experience producing content, both digital and traditional TV and film, working as showrunner or director, sometimes both, when people are lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Sterling's Westbrook media highlights include the executive roles held across HBO Max's Fresh Prince reunion, National Geographic's Welcome to Earth with Will Smith, Will Smith's Shark Week special for Discovery, and an incredibly popular short form series with Ryan Reynolds called Ryan Doesn't Know. <laughs> I know, I can't wait to, like, that's what I'm gonna be doing tonight. I'm gonna be like, oh, cool. Uh, so Sterling approaches making content with a positive attitude and a crystal clear vision. He is a writer, producer, director, and family man from Chicago, Illinois. Everybody give it up for Sterling! <laughs> <laughs> That's why I took a few deep yoga breaths before we started, y'all. All right, and finally, in the hot seat at the end there, and the tech guru, it's my partner in crime, Michael Fisk. Yay! So Michael is, of course, my co-founder here for a business of creating panel series. Big shout out. We are actually becoming an official nonprofit, you guys. So woohoo, woohoo. Keep, uh, keep available for updates. <laughs> so, uh, in addition to that, Michael is a senior marketing executive in the entertainment industry, having spearheaded over, uh, and I'm reading this correctly, 500 That's marketing campaigns. <laughs> so over 500 marketing campaigns, y'all, for studios like Sony Pictures, Lionsgate, NBC Universal, Warner Brothers, and most recently for MGM. Yeah, it's all about who you know, isn't it, you guys? Mm. All, right. all right, so in addition to being, you know, the marketer extraordinaire, Michael also runs Intermark, the international consulting practice focusing on helping filmmakers, producers, directors, and distributors with long-term marketing strategy and producing. His passion, as you all know, is making your passion project succeed. Yeah. Uh, ooh, fun fact. Fun fact, trivia fact, his favorite marketing campaigns that he worked on include, you may have heard of them, the James Bond franchise. Yeah, he's worked on the last six. Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, a few of Damien Chazelle's films like Whiplash and La La Land. And, I know, the guilty pleasure movie, super bad. Okay, everybody, let's give it up for my partner, Michael. I always feel so fortunate I get to come and play with these people up here in my sandbox, right? <laughs> yes, please. Okay, so we're all here to learn about experiential events. But what is that? Why is that important? Why do I need to know about this and involve this in my project and, and in my pitching process? Can't I just leave this to marketing experts to look at down the line? So, please, right? Yeah, but so uh, we got a couple of nice sizzles here and a little bit more about what these are.
Yeah, one more quick example, and then we can d again discuss. Well, what are these? And you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just kidding. But we have more examples later. Ooh. Okay, so what I'm loving is that I'm seeing live events and then I'm also seeing the virtual. So I love understanding that there are, you know, there's more than one way to do this. Because again, you kind of look at it and go, okay, I know writing and producing. I don't, I don't understand experiential marketing. So oh, thank God, okay, good, I can ask the questions. So can we talk a little bit more about what is an experiential event? 
and why they're important. Let's get a quick overview about that, uh, both uh, in real life, virtual, and hybrid. Absolutely. All right. Can you hear me? Does this work? Okay. Um, so I think that experiential events can be defined in a lot of different ways, but at the end of the day, it's just marketing a brand or a piece of IP through an experience. Right, and if you look at the earned media potential, the brand recall, things like that that come out of an experience, they tend to be a lot higher than any other traditional media vehicle, such as like television or digital. And the reason why is because you're hitting multiple touch points within the consumer experience while they're in the brand, right? So for example, you're getting your social out of it, you're getting your um, lived experience out of it, you're getting digital content out of it, you're getting one-on-one -on -one networking. Um, and if you think about it, if you've ever attended a concert or any type of event or experience, you go home reliving that experience in one, one way, shape, or form, right? And then you're telling all of your family and friends about it. So now, as a marketer, I've not only put my money into something that gives me a lot of brand lift from a earned media perspective, but now I have thousands of people who have attended who are passing my message on to their family and loved ones. So it has extremely high brand recall when you compare it to other forms of media. You guys wanna chime in on that? I mean, I can speak from a, um, a creative perspective myself where it's, um, I think experimental media is essentially what we're creating is the experience of a take home of your favorite movie or your favorite album, right? So we're creating worlds, right? I, I use Avatar as a good example. Avatar is a very visual world and it's very new IP, it's a new film when it was first introduced. And so in bringing you as a viewer into that world, Experimental marketing and experiences allow us a chance to show you what that world is. For many of us as writers and creators ourselves, when we're pinning to paper you know, what we visualize our world is, it's probably more than you can fit on the paper, right? And so in order to give people that experience, we create physical realities that allow you to really capture what this writer or filmmaker is trying to show you with this space. And what happens next is, like you said, this is like this this emotional connection to the film or to the product that lasts much longer. And so you begin to infiltrate other areas to find out more about the film. So that sends you out to the various zeitgeist of what is the Twitter audience saying? What is the Instagram audience saying? You know, what are the social handles all saying? Because now this film is now a part of my existence now. Yeah, I might add to that, but uh, to add to that in the sense that you're creating interaction and a relationship between the person that attends the experience and as Alyssa called out, the people that follow the person that attends the experience because then they also post on socials a lot. Um, and I always like to just see it as also, as if you do your job really well, you create memories and you create a passionate person that then really goes and evangelizes whatever content that you're trying to do. It also gives you an opportunity to take whatever piece of content that you're doing and translate that into multiple forms and also into multiple, multiple forms of partnership uh, that can kind of extend the reach further. Um, so overall, when I do hear the term experiential in the marketing industry, it is anything from um, Instagrammable footprint to an actual real experience that people remember, that people talk about, that people get hyped about, that also give an opportunity to plant that into press stories, like this experience is happening. Um, so it, 
gets a lot of reach, uh, and when you do stuff that's really unique, he can create a really passionate fan base for that piece of IP. It also gives you a chance to shine a different light on aspects of that piece of IP, and to redirect and refocus that light to different demographics that might have different experiences attached to it. Um, so, you know, similar in music, how you might have a ra radio edit or a remix or something like that that takes that song and dishes it out in multiple version, Experiential also really allows that to do to whatever story you're trying to tell. Yeah, it's very, it's very much like being active, right? You know, which I think are yeah, the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very active. <laughs> no, the thing is, you know, because I think it's really interesting because experiential marketing, I mean, when you hear it, it's about experiences, but people are like, well, I understand what an experience is, but yes. how is it different nowadays in this new world that we're living in where people want to in engage with the properties? And it's really harnessing what you guys are saying about it's the passion that the cons that that fans have, and it's harnessing that fashion that passion, you know, for them to actually do something. Like when Alyssa was saying, it's like earlier, it's like how do you get them to actually share things on on social posts? But it's also what's interesting is that it's kind of a vague term in the sense that well, who who controls, and we're gonna talk about this a little bit, but like who controls experiential marketing, right? Like it's not like, a, traditionally everyone thought like, oh, here's, you watch a trailer, you watch an ad, you see a billboard, you know, there's that part, but now experiences are able to take all, take, take all these different types of mediums and kind of like layer in even a bit more so that it crosses publicity and social and the creative, like even like out of home, like you see an out of home, but the best out of homes are the ones where people want to take the selfies, right? You know, type of thing where you're saying, you know, so it actually crosses all the different types of aspects of the entire campaign. Can I make one more comment? Just so, one. Um, I will make one. Just the one. Um, there was a, a study that came out and Harvard Business Review um, did a discussion and a survey with about 3,000 millennials and Gen Zers. And they asked a simple question, which of you would rather spend your money on an experience and which would rather spend your money on a product? And 76% of those people said an experience. And the industry was evaluated at about $1.3 billion for 2020 alone. And the driver behind that is the need for young people to generate content for social. So them attending these types of experiences and then putting their money into those experiences allow them to generate the content they need to stay relevant in a social atmosphere. That's why we've seen such a huge uptick in it. And I think we're going to continue to see an uptick in it. What I'm hearing also from just what you were saying, Alyssa, which you know makes you go, oh, good, okay, this is a lot of people jumping on the bandwagon for whichever project it is. So you're getting, you know, just exponential marketing. In that respect, you're getting a lot more reach for, you know, really good bang for your buck. Right. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> for me, it was um, well, one of the things that we do at Westbrook and that I do now in my own personal life is that I I tend to connect everything that we do show, movie, commercial content to an emotion, right? Mm -hmm. So either it's laughter, it's love, or it's something that is very human, and that already attracts the right people because now we have something that is real we can grab hold of, right? And so every event, every show we've ever done, everything that I've ever touched on has been, the through line has always been some emotional perspective, right? And you know, if we're creative enough, we can tie that to a release or a date in the calendar or anything like that, but that allows us to kind of build content around a moment that is all very, very much consistent with how human beings want to receive information. They want to be, they want to feel that this is necessary for me feeling good or me smiling the next day. 
And so we create these moments that are unforgettable and, and they just tap into your spirit and you just kind of want to get more and more out of that. So it kind of, it, it goes on. The, the, I think the livelihood of the marketing that we're creating now, it lasts so much longer than a typical commercial because it's mm -hmm. tapping into something that's more fundamentally profound for human beings, right? Um, and saying that to, no, to notice that you guys may have been aware of this already, but in 2020, everything changed, right? In 2021, the experience of going to the movies changed, right? So you probably saw less movies in 2021 than you ever did in your entire life. So now we have to think about new ways to get people to theaters, right? Mm -hmm. So now all of this is marketing to try and get you to fill theater seats. Because in 2020, we all invested in great home theaters. We got sound bars, we got great TVs, we have a beautiful setup at home. So now we have to think to ourselves, what are different ways to get you to theaters, right? Or at least to understand this experience is better received in a large format perspective than it would be you know, at home in your home theaters. I really liked what you had to say on that, Sterling, because it it kind of reframed how you know I'm thinking of marketing projects as you go, oh, okay, because normally you're thinking, well, we want to make sure you're showing that actor, that actress, that big climactic scene or whatever it is, but you're going, okay, what's the emotion you want people to feel? Let's take it from that path, which I really, I really enjoyed going, ooh, you know what? I hadn't been thinking of it in that way, and now that's a different conversation to have. Yeah, well, that was so funny because it, it was so funny when you're talking about the emotion and content. It was funny. I was like, God, it's, I'm so glad you're like you're here talking about it because if I'm a marketer, I'm like, how do you reach the people? You know, and then you're talking about the emotions. I'm like, oh yeah, 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 the emotions. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's true. You know, and ultimately it does come to that point. And also, truthfully, for my like for me, I love the theater. You know, but how do you get people to have that passionate moment to understand like how do you laugh together, cry together, get scared together in a in a in a, in a theater with others? You know, and get that experience again. And we were t I was talking to some people about it recently. It's like. James Cameron is amazing with Avatar, like in creating like an experience, you know, where you have to see it and you feel the emotion and the and just the beauty of the entire world that he creates, you know, which you can't get anywhere else unless you actually see it on a big screen. Yeah. I, I was also going to add, I think the beauty of experiential is it kind of fuses both. You get the eyeballs, you get the social traction, you get all the branded, the, the photo moments that people create a conversation and share on socials. And then when you create an experience that has real emotion to it, that does convert and engage the user, then you know you've you've really converted and touched somebody. And you have you generally in any experience in any good experiential, you've got those you know the duality of both those layers. A lot of photo moments that reach in eyeballs that's generally more measurable than a typical advertising campaign. Um, and then you know. If the experience was of quality, if the experience had emotion, then you know, really engaged, converted user as well. And I would think that would also speak to like, oh, okay, hey, I know that little cinema slash little you know digital cinema, boy, they put on great stuff. So not only did I like it for um, Will Smith's Shark Adventure, you know, uh, but oh, okay, I know for me, if I knew that you did that, this company did it, I would want to follow that company as well, so that then I'm hooked into whatever other events you're working on. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's the, the beauty of partnership and really of who you choose to partner with and how you can take this one piece of IP or brand that you're trying to promote. And if you have a multiple, you know, different layers of the experiential campaign, then you can also choose different partners and dish this out a lot of different ways. Can I just say I love your segue? I love Jay, my new BFF. Pardon me, Lizza. Yeah. Uh, no, but uh, because 
It, without question, but Jay just gave me the most brilliant segue ever because one of the next things we want to talk about is, well, okay, how you can, can you do this? We're looking at mega events with big bucks and how many credit cards do y'all have that you want to max out, right? So do I have to have a massive budget for it? What kind of partnerships can I form? And, you know, how can I make this work, you know, uh, small or no budget? Find the, oh, go for it. Alyssa, tell this me more. Mine. Okay, do you yeah. want to do my side? Okay, so. <clears throat> By the way, we're just, we, ha we have a bunch of examples here. We're going to flip between them. We're just going to go between them, so you're going to see, like, flipping back and forth. So, and, oh, go ahead. Alyssa, I'm so sorry. I'm going to interrupt you because it's the me show right now. Uh, but, ladies and gentlemen, please, please do take notes. Please take notes. Not where I said it's the me show, but write down stuff that's going to help you with if your you projects. If you want. And, yeah, and any other questions you have. But please do feel free. That's the whole point. We're here to learn. We're here to succeed. Educate, empower, succeed. Yes, please. All right. Alyssa, tell me more now about sponsored partnerships. Okay, so... A lot of times, um, if I'm mentoring or doing consulting work for a smaller brand that does not have millions of dollars to pour into a production, the first thing they say to me is, how do I even like get started? It seems extremely overwhelming. It seems like a lot of money and a time and effort, and I just don't have that. And so... Um, when I started in the industry, I actually worked for my local radio station. I interned there, and um, I'm sure most of you have heard, if you live in Los Angeles, the radio station KISS FM, for example, right? So KISS FM is obviously owned by a larger conglomerate, which is iHeartMedia. And before I came to MGM, I worked for several years at iHeartMedia running West Coast Entertainment activations for them. And one of the things that we did was we looked at brands who were interested in activating in the experiential space, but were interested also in other forms of media that back up that experience, okay? So, for example, iHeart has the iHeart Radio Music Festival, okay? And you can buy in to be a sponsor of the music festival, and you're not only going to get the opportunity to activate your brand at the festival, but you have all these other opportunities, such as a lower financial barrier to enter, because you're not putting up the production costs to produce the theater. Um, you get to tap into multi-platform marketing, which is basically where you have your experience, and then the iHeartRadio brand is promoting that experience and tagging your brand and all that promotion. So you don't have to put up any ex like extra marketing dollars to do radio or digital or social campaigns around your involvement with that experience, right? Okay, great. Money saver right there. Um, you get to take your brand to a very specific demo, like the iHeartRadio Music Festival is going to target a younger audience. So a, a film that we had, Summer Days, Summer Nights, is a junior rom-com. That would have been a great fit for it. Um, you can leverage the power of influencers. So... Where I say this is because your local radio stations have all your radio DJs, right? And they have millions upon millions of followers and fans throughout either the national network or the local network. And nine times out of 10, your multi-platform marketing campaign that you get along with the sponsorship includes endorsements from those radio DJs. So now I've got like Tanya Rad, who's on the red carpet for E, talking about my jewelry brand, associating my brand with a really big piece of IP, which is the festival, right? 
And then you have the opportunity to organically create social content. I'm sure a lot of you probably go into a studio and um, spend some time maybe creating social content or running around Los Angeles. But being able to produce something within the platform that is the festival gives you a way to have consumers interacting with your, with your brand in a really organic and unique way. You can give away merch and swag. You can do photo booths. Um, sky's the limit. And then the creative asset support on this is most of the time, those partners will have internal parties that can help you design what your experience is going to be. They can help you write radio copy, digital copy, create social assets for you so you don't have to spend marketing dollars on outsourcing that outside that align with your brand. Um, and then you also can get the national and local reach out of it. So if you partner with like the festival, for example, it's not just being promoted locally, but on a national scale. So for summer days, summer nights, um, Michael and I actually partnered with Kiss FM. Um, and we did this really fun boat cinema because the film was um, filmed on the water, right? And was Boston, I think yeah, it was. It was in Boston. And so we're like, why don't we take some fun boats out on Castic Lake and have everybody in boats and like their little like, you know, hats and stuff like that, and screen the film, and then bring Los Angeles-based talent there, promote the brand through media. And what we did with this is we ended up getting about uh, 850,000 radio impressions from it, and that's just locally in Los Angeles. Um, and then we had about 3 million impressions on social, um, and then we did about 450,000 through, you see that up in the right-hand corner, that's a little digital banner ad that they had created for us. So that's just a local campaign. So you can imagine not having a ton of money to spend on all these assets individually, but tying into a sponsor or a pre-existing event that's happening gives you a lower financial barrier to enter with the earned media and exposure you might want on the other end of it. Yeah, and I think the key, th the two points I wanted to just add to that is, just taking a little step back, is before the internet, before Instagram and YouTube, when you really think about it, like DJs were the first influencers, right? Like you always wanted to go to them to talk about what you did, granted, on the radio. And the nice thing about radio too, compared to like a TV medium and even now when you think about digital, like radio is still really cost effective. But like the key thing also to note is, you're dealing with a property, like very often, like particularly when you, the reason we wanted to show this slide is, you know, people are like, well, we don't have the budgets of Warner Brothers and Sony, you know, to be able to do these huge, huge, huge events, which we totally get, right? Okay, these budgets, we were not, I don't we can't say what they were, but they were like virtually nothing, right? Like, I just want to say these are really small budgets. And the interesting thing about it was, is that, like Alyssa was able to say, look, when you're, as a filmmaker, you're thinking, I'm going to do a screening, I want to do a screening, right? Like, and, you know, you do a screening, you know, which is done every single time, you know, and you're trying to get, you know, press there, and they're like, okay, here's another screening. But this was, the reason why this was really, really intriguing and different is it created an experience because it's like, it's not just a, a screening. You are now getting on a boat on a lake, watching a movie that it takes place, because this takes place all on the beach anyway, so it fits with the theme of the film. You, you know, you can't do that with every film. Maybe Jaws would be great, but you know, and they've done that, right? You know, but it's kind of like that type of thing where it's like you created an experience of taking a typical traditional um, publicity ploy of just a generic screening and making an experience and then layering with with the media layering with influencers so that people amplified it you know which you wouldn't and it's not get just anyways. radio there's hundreds and hundreds of events that are already taking place in this community and outside this community that are looking for partners and sponsors and I would guarantee you to sponsor something like that's probably not as expensive as you think so even if it's not the radio play they're still digital and social like comic-con I mean that's a little expensive but 
there are things like that that you can get involved. And if you pick the ones that really align with your target demo, you're going to have that face-to-face interaction and not have to throw out a crap ton of money to do it. I want, I want to help okay. drive home this even more because it's, she's really, really right. And let me just tell you how right you are. Thank you. <laughs> Funny story about this is my background before TV and film was also in radio. So bef- when I was a kid, when I was like, man, I was 20, 20 years old, I spent like four or five years in Atlanta, Georgia as an on-air DJ and also the um, marketing promotions guy for Infinity Broadcasting V103, which was then bought by Time Warner AOL back then. I'm old. Um, But she's right. Radio marketing is very, very, very inexpensive and cheap, but let me tell you how it really works, okay? Now, as creators and filmmakers here tonight, we probably all think New York and LA. We always have our mindset around doing a big splashy thing in New York because that's our audience, right? Or we think big splashy thing here in LA because that's our audience, right? We're used to seeing that, we know that's the way to go. There's a lot of great value in tapping into smaller markets in between California and LA. Let me really drive this home. So we all know MTV, right? MTV is a brand name, it is a thing that exists, we know about it, we know all their shows and the content. When MTV first debuted, it was not in New York or LA. It was only on smaller markets locally between, you know, in the in the interior states, right? But that was enough to really tap into those smaller markets and build a zeitgeist there. You'll be surprised at how many people in the interior states where you're from probably will follow you and build an audience and a following around the things you do. So when you're all thinking to yourselves, I gotta spend this money in LA, I gotta spend all this money in New York, right, to make a big splash, you really don't. Instead, tap into smaller buckets all around the, all around the United States first because they will really grab hold of your content and really invest in you. If you have enough smaller buckets around the interior states, you've now made a splash worthy enough to grab Alyssa's attention, my attention, or whoever's attention, Michael included, because now we're, we're saying, you've already got a buzz for yourself and all these people like you, and you've spent no money. What you're doing is, you're creating intimacy because you're a creator and people want to be closer to you while you're creating. However you do that, be it a live showing or a talkback session or whatever you may do, you're gonna build an audience that really cares about your work faster than you can in the California and the New York states because we've seen a lot, you know what I'm saying? So you gotta, you gotta tap out there and reach to those audiences that are dying for a lot more. And so that's, that's how MTV became successful and that's how a lot of smaller people that don't have money can reach a bigger audience by building smaller buckets. Kevin Hart did the very, Kevin Hart would go around doing shows in like everywhere and he would get his own Twitter list and he would have people sign up a Twitter list and he built his own audience, right? So then by the time Hollywood came calling, it was because he already had a built-in following to what he was doing. So trust those smaller markets, trust radio. And I was, yeah, radio was really the, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's it. (laughs) Yeah, I I just wanted to call out another brilliant thing in Alyssa's and Michael's marketing here, one, the radio, which I just learned something new I didn't know about it. The other thing to just call out and bring home is the fact that it was a site-specific event. And if you can tap in and extract what your story is about and find a location or a partner that does all that heavy lifting, then that's 90% of your cost. Let's say you wrote a romantic comedy about you know a couple that meets at a co-working space. Hit up Second Home. Throw the screening here. <laughs> or if you <laughs> <Not> wrong, <laughs> uh, and by doing that, you're tapping into people that are already interested in co-working spaces. The co-working space will probably want to help you run the event because you're you're going to bring a film, you're going to eventize it, you're going to bring people to it. 
and you're tapping into an audience that's already interested in it. Another example, you wrote a whatever, 70s disco film about roller skating, hit up a roller skating rink, tell them to do it on a Tuesday night when they're not busy, and to do a screening in a roller disco, and tap into a DJ that'll come and make some great tunes. So that's a pretty, um, I think, segment that most people don't, in, in film, don't really un think about the value of a site-specific screening, which is the kind of easiest way to create an experience. People think about a film theater, but taking doing a screening in a different location always makes it interesting, and finding that location that is relevant to whatever story you're telling, it's really about the story. Uh, so that's another kind of easy or cost-effective way if you can uh, marry the two together. Uh, well, actually, I was just gonna, I, I'm, I'm loving listening to this. Thank God we're recording it so I can listen to it again later and take my notes. Because what I'm loving is that, oh, okay, this is not as overwhelming and it's not all only on your own shoulders. Because a lot of times people just, as we know, this is why we do these, how do I get started with this? This is a new area for me. I don't know about experiential marketing. Oh, okay, but I understand how to find my target audience and how to look for other you know, sponsorship opportunities that fit with what I'm doing. Oh, okay, I can take that, transfer it over to doing it as experiential. Oh, okay, note to self. Okay, I can I can add that into my and you know, something like this, is this something people want to see in like your marketing plan when you're putting up the business plan and everything? Does that make it look like you're really on top of things where you go, hey, oh, an experiential, yeah, like we can do blah blah blah. Yeah, and don't yeah. and also one of the things we didn't touch on was don't be afraid to ask sponsors to support your sponsorship, right? So if you are going to the iHeartRadio Music Festival and you need t-shirts printed and your girlfriend prints these amazing t-shirts, have her come along and showcase her brand in there as well. Do you know what I mean? And maybe have her slide you like 500 bucks for gas. Um, but don't be afraid to like ask for sponsorships associated with your sponsorships. Clear it with the iHeartRadio team, for example, to make sure they don't have like another t-shirt company in there that's looking to promote. But just let them know, hey, I'm getting my t-shirts from XYZ location. I just want to make sure there's no non-competes here. There's no competes. And nine times out of the 10, you know, they would be cool with that. I'm just like soaking it all in here. This is fabulous. This is the Alyssa show now, okay? Yeah. <laughs> what about the Jen show? No, no, I'm 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 on commercial break. It's all you. <laughs> but okay, this actually brings up you know commercial. Oh, that's on TV. So uh, how does this differ? What kind of events? You know, we talked about it briefly, but you know, okay, how am I adjusting what I want to do based on? Uh, is this a TV show? Is this a film? How uh, is it a you know limited series? How many events am I thinking to do? How often do I do them? Uh, and you know the other one, okay, how do I pivot my events and my marketing based on what genre we're looking at, what target demographic we're looking at? All of our more traditional marketing items that you know you're going to need to talk about when you're pitching the the show, the concept. I think I think tapping into what your film, your your content is really about is the key. I think you said that. And, and I'll give you an example about how this works, right? We, um, earlier this year, and now that I think about it, like I did all this work on my own, I wish I had you guys for the same, <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. But no, we, uh, we rolled out um, Bel Air. And Bel Air was on Peacock, brand new series, of course, right? And we're all familiar with the Fresh Prince of Bel Air um, from the earlier IP, but this is a brand new IP, brand new show, brand new subject matter, um, and we had to galvanize a new audience, right? So how do we do that? We gotta create an event that 
really taps into your emotion and really taps into your excitement for the project itself, right? So what we did was we wanted to do a premiere, and this is episodic right here. And so, long story short, episodic, you kind of tease the episode one with a cliffhanger and leave people hanging for more. At the same time, you give them the world of Bel Air, so they're really dying to get more. So in this case, and I wish I had photos, I wish I would have brought photos for this right here, we built, uh, we built Philadelphia. Um, at the uh, Santa Monica Airport, right? And so you brought viewers in, and they were walking through Philadelphia streets. You had a bodega, so you had like a, a Philly cheesesteak place. You had girls doing double dutch on the jump rope. You had um, uh, guys fixing cars, and you had people yelling at you on, on stoops and everything. So it, it felt like you're really in Philadelphia, right? And you had a basketball court, and you took photos and everything. Like it was, it was such a really comprehensive experience of your favorite things about the show Fresh Prince of Bel Air from way back then, but all the new things about the show you had no idea about. And like you said, the engagement was huge. Huge because now you have all these young people and influencers that are taking photos and doing stories and keeping it going because now they feel like they're a part of something. Now, here's the kick, the, the, uh, the, the key right here. Whatever you do, be it big number or small number budget-wise or no money budget-wise, give your, your, your people that come to your things uh, something to take home with them. I think a lot of us think about this as we always give photo opportunities because we know those will be shared on social medias, right? And they get shared so much. And then it becomes the thing where it's like, oh, were you there at the Bel Air premiere? Oh, I missed it. Oh, damn. You know what I'm saying? That now you're lame, right? Um the FOMO. Oh, it was the FOMO. It's the FOMO, right? And, and like we did we did a whole thing, we did a whole activation that we um we 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 cross-branded with Samsung because it was a very expensive thing and we needed a little bit of extra cash to do it, but we built a mansion in Bel Air. Right, and for three days we had a party that you can come to, and it was like invite only. And I'm telling you, this was the kind of we had Meek Mill performing, we had all these like it was it was incredible, and it was a thing that was so much FOMO for missing out. The only constellation prize you can get was to watch the damn show, and everybody did, you know. But it was it was you, you create these moments that are just unmissable, and that's and then remember we're tapping into love and laughter for me that and and that's the reason why these things are so positive and and you don't want to miss because tapping into an emotion that people know they want to grab more of. Yeah, and can I just say it's also when you were talking about like people want to take the photos and share it, yeah. but also you kind of like, did you hand out anything like any prizes or anything like that, like T-shirts or any stuff like that too? Yeah, we gave out basketballs. Yeah, okay, see, that's, what, that's what I thought yeah, yeah. too. Because, but you don't even have to spend a lot of money because I know, Alyssa, you've done a lot of like kind of like like some wa shit I watch get off yeah. Amazon, y'all. Like, yeah, no, exactly. No, sometimes and, I Amazon Prime stuff and <laughs> yeah, no, and you do, and also it's a, you can even do the nice thing about the difference between also film and TV, you know, particularly with the series, is the nice thing about TV though is that. It's it you you have a chance you have multiple beats you can do and then there's the opportunity to do watch parties yes. and I know like very often do you, do have you created stuff for watch parties to send it to people so they watch it together we like, did the Bel Air yeah. watch party virtually oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> it was the best one <laughs> so I mean that you guys know each other before this no really okay that's a fun we also worked in the Welcome yeah, to Earth exactly. premiere we so also did, uh, yeah all this <laughs> Um, but I mean, a small incestuous world. Let me just tell you, like everyone gets to know each other. <laughs> yeah, our, our we got contacted. I think for through through Peacock, uh, which got a small amount of money from Vox Media to to do a s virtual screening because they wanted to extend reach of the Prince of Bel Air to supplement all these activations, which I had FOMO and heard about. Um, but that's another example of another campaign beat where. 
they were really smart. They got some, uh, you know, a media partnership that paid for the whole thing. They went virtual because it was super cost effective, and they were able to reach the entire of America. And they went to um, college students and offered them a chance, like, hey, you get a chance to watch this ahead of its release. So you're special too. You get to come to this virtual premiere. You're in Chicago. You can't make it to. Um, LA or wherever the rest of the kind of other event is and it was super cost effective and we branded it it was completely on brand with you know the whole design of the Prince of Bel-Air there was a photo booth and you know for the network I think it cost nothing and they got like thousands of reach yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was on the other end of that yeah. deal. Yeah. Okay, so what I'm, I'm loving is that we can do both because now yeah. that we're kind of coming back in IRL, um, you know, it seems like, oh, well, is virtual going away then? And it sounds like, oh, goodness, no. No, virtual is global. Like, that's how you, that's how you get a global market right there. Like, yeah. you, physical is only going to be for the moment and the time that you're there, but virtual is everybody. It's the, mm -hmm. anyone around the globe can tap in and become a viewer or a fan of your work. You can also do wild things virtually because you're hitting scale. We did a virtual screening, and uh, it was also college students. There were 5,000 college students in there, and they were loving the film so much that they community organized in the chat to drive up the rating of the IMDb, and the title went up live in one hour from five to eight. It was powerful. That's great. Um, but they're different. I, I also just want to call out, they serve different purposes. Like during the pandemic, it was, it was, it was lockdown. A <laughs> it was an absolute yeah. lifeline to yeah. community, for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And so um, it sounds like, as far as like TV versus film, um, there's a lot of similarity as far as like, oh, okay, you're gonna wanna do something, you know, as the premiere before, uh, but not necessarily any, you know, for the, second and third or what have you or am i simplifying that too much um i mean for film so far i've uh, film is like ip is ip yeah you know it's, I mean? it's once you like for example, i mean I, I keep using avatar as an example but like avatar is just ip it's just it it will always be a moment to kind of galvanize around i mean think about it avatar one came back out again early this year and did great <laughs> Did great. Most movies can't even bring in a half audience, right? But Avatar did better than some of my films. <laughs> <laughs> Me that too. Were new releases. Me too. I'm well, like, damn. Well, okay. okay, part Three two. Three hashes always again. James Cameron. Part two. James Cameron. Hire right James here in the Cameron. Hot seat. Yeah. <laughs> part two. Part two coming up. James, you're in the hot seat. <laughs> we're calling him out. He's getting all like hashtag and stuff now on the recording on our YouTube channel. <laughs> okay, great. So, uh, what about hybrid events? Uh, huh? Uh, well, all right. Why don't you talk to this? Because this you are a lifeline, so you talk about this. Hybrid. Uh, we, uh, yeah, we do. We do hybrid events. I think there's different ways to approach hybrid, and again, based on the strategy of what you're doing. For us, we've always been interesting in how you connect the audience that can't make it on site mm -hmm. to the experience that you're doing on site. We did this once, and we did this wrong with Welcome to Earth, where we did. We, we had, and we took a lot of learnings from that, where we had an amazing experience on site, uh, but the virtual audience felt like they should have been uh, invited to the in-person event. And that was just, I guess, a, a lesson that we learned of uh, be very intentional in what you show and how much FOMO you're giving if these people thought like they should actually be there. 
And then what we've now learned since there is a couple of ways. One, um, just really cool ways to create the experience. So we did uh, a hybrid event uh, for Warner Brothers Discovery at the upfront. Um, and we took Madison Square Garden and we created a beautiful scenic element and we connected the lighting desk of what was controlling the lights to what was happening at the virtual uh, on the virtual site. So it was just a really dynamic, powerful, um, color-changing experience. And then now what we also started doing is realizing when we have talent on site, it is quite easy to just you know create a segment for them that is one kind of set build that looks great, that allows you to tell the story and allows you to kind of capitalize on the really limited time that the talent have. Um, so now our approach has very much been to capitalize on the events that you're building in person, on the set builds, on the fact that talent's gonna be in there, and to think from the lens of broadcast of how to create a really interesting digital experience that feels very intentional to that audience and can really scale. Um, and the next bit that we're you know, also kind of exploring with is also a two-pronged approach where you can create a digital experience that is like the first entry to your in-person experience, to your first bit of the story you start telling there. And then that second bit from however that experience ended is you know, an invite to, to your in-person. So a I lot of room. I think hybrid works really well when you are looking to reach a a global audience and you're restricted by doing that for certain environmental reasons, right? Or social reasons. A big part of that is talent availability, right? So sometimes you can't get talent where you need them to be, but you need them to be a part of this experience. And so hybrid can really help in that way. Another is, um, let me give you an example. I did something for Sly for um, Rocky Four. So um, Sly came to me and he's like, hey, I'm redirecting and recutting Rocky Four, And I want to release it in XYZ theaters. But I want there to be a huge premiere prior to that release. And we're going to also release it on Prime Video. I think we released it at Prime Video, right, Michael? Yeah. Prime yeah. and Fathom. Yeah. And Fathom, yeah. So I said to him, okay, well, you want to do this whole thing in Philly. Great but you want audiences across the United States to be able to participate. And I said, if we partner with Fathom Events, which if you don't know what Fathom Events are, um, if you go to the movies and you see like Fathom Events prevents uh, blah, blah, blah in like cinema. Metropolitan Opera is very known like, for the right, live events there, right. but they do many types. Yeah, so we partnered with Fathom Events and I ended up producing a premiere type experience um, in Philly, and then we live broadcasted it through the Fathom Event Network to a few thousand theaters nationwide, and then those movie theaters had the opportunity to sell tickets, so we sold out like crazy, um, and then that gave us the leverage to say, back to your point, Sterling, those smaller markets are really powerful markets, right? So I'm in Philly, broadcasting to New York, LA, all these other markets. And I have all these markets talking about what they just saw, which drove to on-demand and PV at the other end of it. Um, so that's another way you can incorporate a hybrid event. It doesn't necessarily have to be through your computer screen or phone or iPad. You can tap into local movie theaters as well to do that. And there's a lot of partners who can help with it. And also, uh, I said earlier how movie theaters changed. 
you can also nowadays book a theater to host your event for under 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, under 400 bucks, in fact. I mean, I think I hosted my family to see, um, what was the movie now? I forget what it was. It was the uh, uh, this Venice Serena Williams uh, sisters where Will was the star. Yeah. And oh, King, uh, King, uh, King Richard. Richard. Oh, so you guys know the film. Okay, great. Great movie. It's a wonderful <laughs> film. You guys should go see it. Uh, no, it's, um, no I, I had, I mean, like, I brought my entire family in to go and watch the movie, and I spent like 300 bucks. And they all thought, man, what does this cost? And I was like, Psh. Ten thousand dollars, mom. <laughs> Give me that check. No, but it, it's it's a uh, you you now you have more uh, autonomy to create your moments, and it's actually really not that pricey. You know, not that pricey. And if you can create an event, book your own theater, and bring people out that are gonna, like you said, taking photos and creating that social engagement, man, that'll go that'll go strong. That'll go for a while. Yeah, and the nice thing, I mean, to your point, is that yeah. due to, co- I mean, thanks to COVID, or, you know, it's like theater chains are a lot more open to it now. I think before COVID, you wouldn't have been able to do it for $400, you know, but now they're realizing, okay, there's, they are understanding, we want to create events, we want people to go there, so it's more opportunities. So this kind of leads into, you know, one of my main questions. Um, I don't honestly know if it's the next question on our deck, but it's the next question on my mind, uh, which is basically, well, great, we're talking about all these things and we're getting inspired for how it can work with our projects. How much can I and should I be doing on my own before I come and say, Jay, I'm hiring you and I'm, you know, what? give me the foreign language, you know, tips and, and you know, speed bumps and all that good stuff. How much can I prepare ahead of time? How much should I prepare ahead of time? And when should I, you know, whoa, Nelly. Maybe, Jay, if you want to rattle off some things that you like clients to share with you when they come to you to ask, can you help us with X, Y, Z? Sure. Uh, We always work backwards from whatever problem we're trying to solve and whatever story we're trying to tell. Uh, The best clients that come to us come with a great briefing, which is this is the demographic that we're trying to hit. This is the date that we're trying to hit. This is the location or whatever. We, we often do site-specific, which helps bring the budget uh, into line. Uh, and, and often they tell us also, this is the emotion that we want people to feel. Uh, this is what this is about. Um, and then it's, it's, it really, for us, it becomes you know pr- problem solving of like, okay, th- these are the elements that we're juggling. They've got to deal with this talent. They've got this kind of level of budget. Um, they need to fit these many people in here, and they want to tell this, you know, this particular story. So the more of a great briefing that we have to work from really does help us. I will say that's on the rarer side. <laughs> can I, can I, I just want to underscore. Me. I just want to underscore this is that this is like one of my pet peeves. It's like I, I feel so bad for the creative agencies that have to deal with it when they get a client that says they call them up and says you just have to make it big and make it sizzle. And you're like, well, what does that mean? You know, it's like Bacon. give the background. And I loved what particularly what you both were saying. It's like what is that emotion you're trying to create? You know, what are the goals? And Alyssa's very good about KPIs. Like, what are the certain goalposts that you want to hit? That helps so much rather than just saying I just want something cool. You know, that 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 does not help at all because what it says is that you're really not sure what you want, you know, and you have to really think it through, what do you want, because then the creative minds can really expand upon it so much more when they have the information. The other thing, too, um, just kind of touching on the KPIs, which are key performance indicators, is just identify, do you want to drive sales? Do you want to drive brand affinity? Do you want to drive brand awareness? 
Um, are you looking for social engagement? Like, what is the, what's the goal of all of this, right? And then you can dive into, okay, I know what my goal is, but I want my event to have people feel a certain way. I want to hit this core demographic. Um, I want to spend this much money. Um, to your original question, you uh, one of the original questions you asked was like, how do you know it's time to engage with an agency? Yeah. Um, I think that when you're first starting out, sometimes just asking for a conversation of how it works, right? And say, look, like, I don't have a lot of money to spend. I might not be able to retain you guys. Are you interested in having coffee or just doing like a quick 30 minute Zoom meeting or like a lunch and learn just so I can get my feelers around like what do I need to get to X, Y, Z, right? And then back into what can I do by myself? Can I source premiums? Can I um, put together creative CAD drawings? Can I design out my program? Um, do I have someone that can create logos, so on and so forth? Like figure out the punch list of what you have the ability to do look at what you know you can't do and talk to someone like Jay or use LinkedIn or something like that to say, I can't hit these buckets. Do you know someone that can help me do that? It's very simple, you know, just back into your overarching, what can I do and what don't I have the ability to do? So what I'm also hearing, which is again, kind of a relief, it's very similar to a lot of traditional marketing where exactly. you're going, okay, here's my lookbook, here are comp films and TV shows, here are events that I felt were particularly effective and I wanna achieve something similar. Yes. All, so, okay, we, we know how to do some of this, much more than we realized. Fantastic. All right, thank you. Good night, everybody. <laughs> I mean, well, I like, I like to think of, um, I, I, would, I would look at all three of us as the way that I describe what we do as I love a good brief. I love a good I I love a good directive of what the client wants. And for perspective wise, my clients that we deal with on a daily basis are lately it's been, of course, it's 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 Meta, it's Google, it's um, Nat Geo, Disney Plus, it's um, uh, Apple, it's um, Sony. It's, I mean, the list goes on and on and on, right? And then there's also talent, you know, and, and I'm, a, I'm in the rear position where I deal with um, a lot of the corporate clients that have briefs and needs they wanna try and hit and they have a great understanding of their platform and their product. But at the same time, I deal with talent a lot, right? And so for me, it's the idea of communicating what the client wants on a financial perspective, but then communi communicating that to the talent who most most often is a person who doesn't really understand it or doesn't really care. And for me, it's just like sifting through to find the even you know medium of like what they want and what this person wants right here, which can be a difficult balance. Um, but I, I, I like to say that what the three of us are, I say this all the time in the office, it's like, you bring me the idea and I'll and I'm the lighter fluid on the idea. Like I'll I'll put the gas behind it. And I'm let me be super clear about that. Is that I, I think that as professionals, we really tend to understand what works. And there's a certain there's a certain few things that we need to, to to put in there to really make it work. Otherwise, it's a lot of money being spent and you're not gonna get that retention factor from it, you know? And that just comes from years of like cranking out these events. And then sometimes they fall flat and sometimes they really resonate. And the ones that really resonate, they do so because there's, a, there's some core things in there that you really need to make happen. Um, again, that's, you know, that's my process. But I, I like to think that myself, Jay, and, and I know Alyssa is, we, we're lighter fluid. We, we, you, you come here, we're going we're gonna to 
we'll go for it. And can you just give an example? Because we talked about uh, when you talked about the event with New Year's Eve with um, Shaq. Mm -hmm. Can you just give that example? Like because that was a purely, like for what I always find out is you're dealing with a pure digital event, mm -hmm. which um, let me just bracket up here is, um, but you're you're trying to teach talent like what is meta because this was through facebook's metaverse right you know so did you have to do a lot of explaining to talent to shack and the others of what this was yes. okay so okay so it's it's almost not as exciting from this angle right here because from meta what they're looking for is very data driven right they're looking to quite honestly sell either headsets or get more subscribers or get more units right so they're looking at each person as um, you know, what is your value to me? Like, what is your, what is your IP? What is your, uh, you're a 27 year old white male. I know that your spending power is X, Y, and Z. So therefore I can quantifiably spend money in that demographic because you're of value to me. So once I understand what their data, what their data is driving them to do to make all their choices and decisions, and you gotta be really keyed into Zuckerberg's, you know, mindset about where he wants to take meta. So then it's my job now to satisfy all those needs. And then I take that to Shaquille O'Neal, who is the creative person in NBA superstar who doesn't care like he like he doesn't care about those things like he literally told me he's like yo don't worry about what they're saying I'm gonna give you my show it's gonna be great and and I'm you know and, and Wait, is this the first time ever put on a headset is that, like that was the first time he ever put a headset on yeah, ever <laughs> ever I'm not even sure he th he knew he was making it we were making a thing for uh, VR but whatever um but no, my, my, my job, and I think all of our jobs, is to get the, the most laser beam focus out of the project to make it make the most sense, right? So it's always going to be the people that are spending the most money who don't quite understand creativity. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to have the creativity that only understands creativity, right? And then you got to find that medium. How do we balance this from the creative side to the executive side and make a thing that is profitable and makes sense and is engaging at the same time? So it's a... It's a duality and a delicate balance, but I, you know, it's it's not easy. <laughs> so you're the UN, is what you're saying? I'm I'm really good at making people feel good, and then going and give hard information next, <laughs> like the hard. Well, you know, Shaq doesn't want to do that, you guys. Well, Meta won't pay for that, so it, it's a it's a thing. Yeah, well, I think that to be good at that, you got to listen and understand what each part, the lens that each party is viewing it through, and translate it to that particular type of lens, um, and that that, and then you get great results. I mean, I'm like, because brands come to you, brands come to you, and they want to spend either five hundred thousand all the way up to like two, two, three million dollars, right? And so they need certain assurances about how the money is being spent and where it's going to land and how this will be impacted among everyone else. So a lot of us are communicating to the, the brands exactly how we plan to do that while at the same time satisfying the creative needs of the artists because they're not thinking about those things. They're just thinking about the emotion. They're thinking about the song. They're thinking about having fun or playing the music or getting a movie or The Rock in Times Square. Like, I'm going to turn up and have a great time. And it's, but, you know, we need something else, too. We need you to do this this little 30 second little, hey, watch my film, because yeah. we need that, you know? I was gonna say, when you get it right, I saw one of the names there, Ludacris. We did, we did a show with Ludacris for Amazon, and we treated him well, we gave him, we, we paid him, we paid him well, we gave him like a creative say. He was so 
happy that he was shouting out Amazon. He was shouting out Little Cinema. He kept shouting out Amazon. He went on Twitter and started promoting on Twitter and Instagram without us asking him about how awesome Amazon is and how more brands need to be like that. <laughs> we were like, okay. Um, one of the other things I was going to say um, is back on one of the original questions of how do you know when to like engage and what can you do yourself? Um, it's really important to to have speci- uh, to understand your expectations, and um, a lot of times we'll get like a client brief and then expectation, you know. And so, if you just have the conversations with um, your agency upfront or with a consultant or something like that, you can say to them, "Okay, what have you seen in this space? How have you seen it perform? Yeah. Right?" And really understand what the benchmarks are you're up against. If you're a brand new jewelry company, for example, and you saw Tiffany did a great activation in XYZ location, like understand and do a little research on like what it took them to get to that point. Yeah, they already have a very strong brand presence in the marketplace, but what did they do as part of their experience to gain those likes or those impressions, um, to get that earned media? What specific components of their experience drove the most conversation, right? Um, there's a trade that you can look at, which is called BizBash. It's just a regular great trade. Um, yeah, B-I-Z, yeah. And what BizBash does is it posts and shares information about new events and experiences associated with big brands. So like if you're interested in going to Comic-Con, for example, you can take a look at what are other brands doing at Comic-Con, how did they find success, and then share some of those successes that you saw with your agency. And hey, I'm really interested in XYZ because I saw success from ABC brand, right? Um, but just know that there's a certain level of expectation you're going to have to have. But to find that expectation, you got to do your homework first. If you go in thinking you're going to spend $5,000 and get $10 million of earned media out of it, you may have to reset your expectation. Yeah, but that's the why. I was going to say digging for ideas and getting references. BizBash is a good place. Also, the Cleo's site is also a great oh, yeah. place to go and like dig for ideas and see what people are doing. We have a Cleo winner here. Hey. <laughs> 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And good night. No. And go home. <laughs> okay, so Thank this you. is one of my, my favorite questions, even though David gave me like laser eyes when I asked it of him in a previous panel. So can I take, uh, yeah, David's like, I have to leave now. Uh, but, but so can I take some of these experiences, these events, these virtuals, these hybrids, what have you, can I use them down the line for a video game or a graphic novel, or can I you know, cross-platform it into something else? Can I multi-use these things? Is that effective? How can I maximize the use of this? Um, I'm, so uh, I'm right now currently in conversation with um, creating events in Roblox, right? Now let me be clear about this. And so, for example, let's let's talk about. Um, I mean, it's a whole world to understand, right? You ha- you like you know we're all we can all wrap our heads around the idea of what merch is, right? We could all like buy a shirt, buy a thing, and we physically have it. But Roblox, for example, because my son plays Roblox all the time, it allows you to buy merch that you physically don't even own. It just exists in the video game space, and you wear it, and it promotes whatever the thing is to millions of children. 
um, all around the globe. So they grow up with a fascination toward this thing. Um, one of the, the most, uh, there's, a, there's a great case study about, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, there's, a, there's a great musician, he, uh, DJ Marshmallow, in fact. DJ Marshmallow, who has a great resonance in the public world right now, but his, his following on Roblox with young kids is tremendous, right? Now, that is something, his image is it's, it's perfect. And, and, and that's the kind of thing that the, the hype value of that, it lasts a very long time because it's always being reintroduced again and again and again because the six-year-olds are now introducing that to the five-year-olds and the five-year-olds are now celebrating that even more. So the seven-year-olds are like, well, I need this again. So it's a, it's a whole zeitgeist of promotion. And so that's, you know, that's the new wave that we're tackling right now on my end. another thought too so um when you are producing a experience in real life right um there is technology that exists that allows you to use drones and site map all that out and you can store that data and throw it into a world like the metaverse so to your original question yes you can repurpose live experiences and, and live immersive worlds, but there's a cost to do that, right? Um, sometimes too, like if you, let's say you do an activation at iHeart, for example, um, yeah, you can take all the components from your booth and store them and reuse them elsewhere, that's no problem. Um, but when it comes to translating in real life that exact footprint into digital, it's totally doable. It's just a little bit more tricky than sure. taking A and putting it in basket B. What do you think? Yeah, I, 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 we, we often sit, we, we don't own the IP. So if you guys own the IP, you really do have the opportunity to translate that into different, different touch points uh, that can also monetize. But um, I also, the, back to the topic of this conversation of experiential, a large value of experiential is asset creation and then your ability for these assets to like live on and have longevity throughout the campaign. Uh, and in virtual, this was actually extremely powerful because a lot of that was, um, was, was content. Um, I'll keep going. The most powerful thing that I've seen in this front has been music, which you're able to take a live music event, even an in-person event, get the talent there or whatever you're doing, and you're able to, to tap that into your IP. So I'll, I'll take a like real example of an, a Nat Geo project that we did. We took a show called The Secrets of the Whales, um, and then it's, it's a really long show. So we cut the kind of uh, almost a reel out of it and composed a new soundtrack of about 20 minutes, and we uh, produced an experiential event that was a performance of an audiovisual performance where you can see the live musicians play to this like supercut reel of um, of uh, the secrets of the whales, um, and then that created an event. It created a premiere event, and then it created a content piece that was used for uh, award campaigning, and it did end up um, picking up an Emmy. Um, so that's a kind of like just a way of, of thinking of also different mediums like music that you can tap into and then thinking of how the event can produce content and how that content piece can then also live on uh, in a variety of different ways. It's very exciting to hear all of these things, you know. Um, 
a kind of a backing up question as Michael keeps flipping, right? <laughs> I know, I was just doing that too, going, shush, time, shush, stop. We need the stop time, man. Um, but so when should I even be starting to plan these things out? You know, because Michael, you're always going like, hey, before we even start, you know, pre-production, you'd better be putting your marketing and your unit photography in there, you know, and he's shaking his finger at all. Start early. That, right, yeah. But so, is that the same with experiential or, you well, know? how hard do you want to work? <laughs> how, how much time? I know, it always comes down to cost and time, right? Like, if you give a lot of time, hopefully the cost goes down. If you give no time, the cost goes up, you know? So that's really what it comes down to, you know? So, if you don't have a lot of money, I, give it time. Yeah. I would say, um, okay, let's take the summer day, summer night example. If you want to type into something that's pre-existing, you can activate that like within 30 days. Sometimes you can get in two weeks early. If you want to do a full-on, fully custom experience, especially if you make it immersive and include a lot of AV and tech and all that kind of stuff, how much time would you like, Jay, to be able to pull that off? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I, we, I, we never get a lot of time. <laughs> like. And we always take the calls, and we're always excited. Um, but that's just the nature of often. Like they, some, sometimes you don't have the key art like 30 days out of whatever you're trying to promote. Like 90 days is a really is like ideally, if you had 90 days, that would be amazing. Like Jay and I were just on a call today, and he's yes. like, "You, we've got like 20, 15 days to do this." I'm like, "Yeah, we're gonna work really fucking hard." <laughs> Uh, but but money is an issue because yeah. the less time you have, the less you can negotiate with vendors, the less you can find a venue that's just looking to fill up a spot. If you're looking to fabricate anything, forget about it. Um, so, you know, that does really help in the long run. So start as soon as you get in your car, basically, tonight. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I, th I think for, um, I think in 2022, we figured out that our cozy lead time, I say cozy with a, man, it's, it's not, it's never cozy, but like, I think six weeks is a good pre-pro, and that's that's roughly your 90 days, I believe, right there. And then I, I look at post, if you're gonna have assets coming from that, like larger assets, I like to say six weeks after. So that is where we are, I think, right now, which is ironic because I was on a phone call this morning about doing an event, an activation around Stagecoach here in L.A., which is quickly approaching. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing about it is when you, when you have scale, when you have scale and you're doing a lot of things a lot of times, you know who to call to kind of get things moving faster. Like, for example, like I, I can call a production designer who can do me a blueprint tonight, right? And I can, I, I mean, you know the right people to call to kind of move things ahead, but I, I tend to look at six weeks as, man, the bare minimum for making it nice. Anything shorter than six weeks is going to be. Well, you want time for planning and, again, to get the partners on board and Shaq and whatever. So, you know, six weeks, if you have a plan, you're doing great. But to have a plan at six weeks out, you probably want to start talking about it. Sixty to ninety days, if you don't want to be stressed, and then that will get you to six to four weeks to actually be able to have production time. It's very, it's, it's super, it's super stressful. I think I got more gray hairs this year than I ever got. Um, but at the same time, you know, the end result is great quality work. You know, and and we're always proud of that. And that's what we're all about: top quality events, right? Top quality experiences, top quality information, and practical advice. Ladies and gentlemen, 
I want to keep asking the I questions. I hope we've been but, helpful. You know. and you yeah. guys are oh, oh, only a <laughs> tiny bit. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please, if you have a question, now's your opportunity. Now's your opportunity, sir, in the front. How do you uh, measure ROI? For us, it's earned media. Mm -hmm. So earned media is huge for us. I don't know if you've ever heard of, there's a, <clears throat> a website you can use called Critical Mention. And so what Critical Mention does is it will scour the internet for all the major press outlets and see who's publishing on your content. And then you can also add in a social play for that. So from an experiential perspective, depending on what my KPIs are, um, I'm going to look at the earned media and the social engagement for that. I'm not necessarily looking, I'm always looking to drive to get butts in theaters of films, but if no one's talking about what's happening, they're not going to get to the theater. So I need to see a substantial amount of earned media from press and social um, for us to qualify that as a successful event. What about you yeah, guys? No, yeah, what they do is, um, just so you understand, is that they, they will measure the impressions and then put a dollar value to it. Okay. So you know exactly what it is. So they, therefore then the media team, which is spending money, spending money internally, doesn't really have to necessarily spend as much because thanks to the events, they got they got this quote unquote free media free earned media. I mean, granted, you paid for the event, you know, so you have to kind of put that into it. But that's really what and, it's about. And you can often supplement. There's there's a range of people, especially here in LA, that have roller decks of influencers that are looking for cool shit to do. So you know, I've seen people get paid anywhere from three thousand to fifteen thousand, and be able to bring you know people with millions of followers. That Olivia Rodrigo thing we did. I think we spent $3,000 in one of these people and they got the kid Leroy that just loved the experience and blasted us out to like millions and millions of followers. So an example would be, let me use the House of Gucci premiere. I'm, I don't know if you know the House of Gucci film. Mm -hmm. I hope you do. Um, but I, we ended up spending probably just under a million on that premiere. Um, I had 17,000 press outlets pick it up and 2 billion in earned media from one night alone. So I take a look at, okay, here's my spend on production, but the amount of earned media and conversation I'm going to have that I need people talking about this film is tenfold on that. That's not always the case. Um, I had another film that we did. Um, it was a smaller title. Um, I think I had like 1,700 press pickups on it from our premiere, um, which that got us about 450 million in earned media. So uh, use a tool that's critical mention, for example. There's other companies out there that do it, but they will assign a dollar value to the press and the media that you're getting on that. And that's a great indicator of saying, okay, I've actually spent my money wisely here. It was a good investment for me. And that's, that's exactly what I was thinking because a lot of times, as we were talking about earlier before the panel, you don't understand the value of what you're spending and what it's bringing back to you. All you're necessarily seeing is that line item on the budget and kind of cringing and going, oh dear, how am I gonna find that cash? Where's that coming from? Oh, but wait, look at what the actual return was on that. So that's, that's the you know, key thought process. I think I spend more time evaluating the earned media potential than I do producing and then convincing people why it's worth doing that. Like, I, I, I do the same thing. I, I do the same exact thing, but I, I take I take another approach also because, so for example, we do the um like I today 
So we get these emails, right? They tells us all of the earned media hits we got, right? And it lists off like, you know, thousands of different media hits, right? And, you know, that's what you want. And that's how you really understand your ROI right there. You know what the, you, you can quantify exactly what you spent based on the amount of hits you get. But there's another layer to that, which is virality, right? Or something going viral. So from that, if you think about all the media hits as seeds, and you, what you really hope is that all of these hits become roots that will grow something else, and that's what being becoming viral is, right? And you hope that some of your content, something you've done, it connects to some kind of emotional moment where somebody decides to create something more from that, and that continues to go and go and go and go. Um, there's a few examples, I can't think of anything right now, but top of my head, that, that where that really works out really well. But I, I, know, I know an example. There was a lot of marketing behind Stranger Things, right? But we talked about it. Like, we talked about it because it was fun for us because it, it tapped into our zeitgeist of nostalgia, right? And it reminded us about all the things we grew up on as, as kids, like, you know, the, the, the board games and the microwave and the, the way our moms and dads dressed, right? It was the 80s for us, right? And that became the thing that we all talked about, we all shared, and we all began to, like, you know, do um, afterwards. And that was the seed from that marketing that really took off to really make that show successful. If I can jump in on that thought as well, I know that was something that my little nieces and nephews loved as well. So suddenly you're having a multi generational conversation, you know, around the holiday table. Well, my son says because he watched Stranger Things like over the holiday break, right? My son, he's seven years old, and he goes, "Dad, he goes, Dad, is this when you and mommy grew up, like in the '60s?" And I was like, "Hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, wait, hold on a second now." <laughs> no, all right, I'm not that old, but but for them, it's like they they're learning about how things were back in the past, and so it's interesting. Ooh, question in the back. Hey. hey. This is a great event. My name is Reginald Finley. I've taken like a ton of notes. Okay. So Wonderful. Real quick, B103, Frank Ski, when I was sitting at Morehouse, I was all up through there, did events with him, popped oh. in, right? So then, so like, to get a connection with you and Bill, this was so great because of your example. I thought of uh, Kanye's um, Easter Sunday Coachella performance. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was there in person. Okay, so <clears throat> let's use Comic-Con, okay? Um, we had a um, television series, Vikings, um, that you can now watch on Netflix. 
Um, or Amazon. I think it's Amazon. Oh, God, fucking hate. Help me out, Michael. <laughs> Dig me out of the hole. Exactly. It's anyway. streaming. Um, you can check so, it out on streaming Amazon, platforms. Amazon. We, it's on Amazon. I now work for Amazon, too. Fuck. <laughs> um, so we had, um, we went to, I took the, the show to Comic-Con. And another, didn't have a ton of budget. Um, but we ended up taking over a axe throwing bar. And I created a Vikings battle axe training camp. So you could go to the axe throwing bar and learn how to train for battle with axes like a Viking. And we had cast show up. I was like praying to God. I got 100 people. I had lines around the door, right? Okay, so huge success. Super exciting. The next year, Comic-Con went digital. And we were told that the only way you could participate was in a panel. Jay helped us with a panel. Um, <laughs> So we got cast members together, and um, traditionally, we do our Comic-Con panels in one of the smaller halls. So Hall H is like the coveted hall to get into because it can hold the most people, okay? We did our Comic-Con panel digitally, and we had over 250,000 views on that panel in less than 24 hours, and we became the number one panel for the Comic-Con segment, beating out like the DC shit. And um, I was so excited. I thought I was going to get like 10,000 people. And um, we filled Hall H 10 times over. And a lot of people we noticed in conversations and the chat talked about our experience in San Diego Live. And that was a huge awakening for us to say, okay, we know that we are activating in a digital space. We know that we can activate in a in real life space. Um, but the thing that was unique about that digital panel was it was able to reach global. So we had a ton of FOMO from all of our global fans at um, when we did in real life Comic-Con. And the things that we were seeing in our chat systems and stuff was, I'm so glad you guys did this. I didn't get to attend last year. Or I live in Italy, and I would never be able to interact with the fans and stuff like this. And so I was floored to see people interacting with us because of what we did elsewhere. And that was a whole year later. So if you do it the right way with the right fan base... Um, I think you can have a lot of success and crossover year over year. Any other examples? Yeah, I've got a good example. Uh, we did a, a project with uh, a Blumhouse and Amazon, and they took four films that like were. He got an Emmy nomination for that. Let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> Give it up for. <laughs> <laughs> Give it up. <laughs> it was. It was. It was. It was one of our uh, favorite projects. Uh, but it was taking four films that weren't that famous and they didn't have that many budgets to them. And, and the marketers were really smart to group them together and into one, one experience. So we actually created a, a completely new, fresh, unique experience that was based on uh, plot points of all the four different films. And then we served that out to people that were looking for entertainment, like an escape room play. It was a kind of five act piece that ended in this like big VR experience. And at the end of this experience, it was like, cool, this is all based on these four films. Welcome to the Blumhouse. Go explore. So from a campaign standpoint, it got a lot of engagement because it tapped into audiences that weren't even necessarily horror films that kind of heard about this thing. The first one happened during COVID, so it was locked down. We amplified it by getting Ludacris to come in and like, you know, be in the basement while everything else was happening. 
And that drew a lot of people and created a, a fandom to that experience. So the next year, we did that again. Welcome to the Blumhouse Part 2. And at this point, it was a whole bunch of people that, again, weren't even fans of the horror genre that were excited to come to this experience that took place again. Sadly, the deal between Amazon and Blumhouse ended, uh, but we still, as little cinema, still get emails of, is this thing coming to life? You know, we'd love to bring this back to life with Blumhouse in another way, maybe in person. Um, but that's, a, I think, our strongest example of creating just a really strong experience that fused emotion from these different IPs and, and created fan base for that experience that then went and explored the IPs later. Okay, last call. Who's got a hand raised? Eight yes. Eight o'clock, yep. I mean, I, I can speak from, we spoke earlier about hybrid events and physical events where you can kind of go to and also virtual ones you can kind of like watch and, you know, tune in from wherever you are around the globe. Uh, and I think you and I spoke about this earlier too, Jay. One of the things that we're trying to tackle on my end is retention, right? And, and what that really means is once you bring someone into your experience, right, most times people are just trying it out right now. They just want to just see, want to pop in and see what this is all about and then they'll leave, you know, before you know it but we're really trying to keep people there longer. So creating um, a virtual space whereas people have more interactive elements to play with and spend time with and touch, right? Because then you've increased your retention. Um, so it's, it's, it's almost, I mean, it, it's, it may sound bad to say this, but it's almost not enough to just have the main show. Like you have the main thing that brings you there, but let me be clear about why this is important right here. When all of us are watching our favorite shows at home, right, most times we have our phones in our hands and we're doing two things at one time, we're doing two screens at one time and don't even realize it, right? And now our brains are engineered to always be entertaining another part of your brain all the time. So now in these experiences, we create the main show as well as the side show. And that's the way we try and work on retention and kind of keep you glued in much, much longer. Yeah, and I just want to say, I don't know if anyone's been to The Grove when Netflix, did you see the pop-up shop there? Which was a good example where it wasn't just Stranger Things, which is probably drew most of the people, but they had Enola Holmes, they had like five or six different of their properties there. And what, they, what was really good about it, though, is is they were simple. They were simple things to do. You can either just take the, you know, take a photo of you with it, or do a green screen. And they, they didn't make it super complicated because the issues that I see very often is that if you get so involved and make it so complicated, like a scavenger hunt that requires like 20 different things, and you have to kind of really solve stuff, most people, the super fans will get it, but most people are going to check out, right? Like you don't want to make it so complicated that when you think about 90% of the people just drop out, you want to make it simple, easy, and fun, and then you're set, you know? But don't, you know, but don't focus on the Uber fans that would sit there for 20 hours and 20 days to figure it out and will do it because those are like five, you know? You're, you're trying to go over the 50,000 people. I think if you can understand 
what is the customer's or consumer's barrier to enter, i.e. barrier to engage with my opportunity or my experience? And if that barrier is not something you yourself would do, then you're going to have to rethink that, right? And to his point of retention, it's the multiple touch points within that experience that are going to continue to drive engagement. Keep the customer in your space. Um, and then also the greater chance of taking the lived experience with them as they move throughout their evening, connect with their family and friends. Um, that sort of, Does that answer your question? Yeah. Oh, sensory engagement is huge. Like, I think that's one of the things that makes experiential stand out and last so long is because you have the opportunity to engage all five senses. There is no other marketing vehicle that exists where you have the opportunity to do that. That was big at CES, too. Like, at CES, it was all about different ways of technology to kind of increase the, the sensory engagement from everything. Yeah. Wonderful. I see your hand, but hang on because you're on two. Who's on one at the back? So, but I see you, man. Uh, well, can we cop it down to two? There's two last ones. It's eight o'clock. We just want to just do that. Yes, no. yes. Do we have to go? We said two more. Two more. That's it. All right. I got one. No, I'm like and the taskmaster. Did I have? I know Michael. Oh. Know. All right. So at the back, please. One. Go for it. Do you need the mic or can you shout it? No, no. I'm, I'm just curious for anyone who has activations around Sundance. Ooh, activations around Sundance. Yes, we are taking a film to Sundance. Do you have additional <laughs> questions regarding that? <laughs> I can't tell you what it is because it hasn't been announced yet. Ah. But okay. yes, we do a activate at Sundance. Um, I've done a lot at Sundance. There's, there's two parts of it where there's the screenings and the, the content review and all that kind of stuff. And then there's the parties and the activations. So... Um, it is a, Sundance is a great, there's thousands of festivals like, just like Sundance that can um, provide opportunities for people to market. They're very, very um, successful, I think, if you do it the right way. Um, there's an amazing audience that's already built in there that kind of goes back to the sponsorship part of it. Um, and um, it doesn't necessarily have to cost a ton of money either, you know. Festivals are a great way to tap into an audience. And I like how you were mentioning that as we were talking about earlier about it. Go for the smaller markets because mm -hmm. obviously Sundance is Sundance. Oh, preach. But, mm -hmm. you know, okay, everybody wants to go there. Well, okay, if my movie is about surfing, then why don't I look more for, you know, Oceanside go or to something Florida else? Or okay? Huntington Beach or. Yeah, so Hawaii? looking at alternative options that are going to be just as, if not more, successful for what you're trying to do and promote. I love it. Okay, any other first-timer questions? Oh, Lord, I shouldn't have asked. I saw you in the front, my friend. Last one, last one. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Roxy. I just wanted to know what your favorite event experience campaign was in your career. All right, what's the favorite? And go. <laughs> I know what Jay's going to say because I listened to Billy's podcast. So Jay's going to say whichever one I'm working on right now. And then my next favorite is the one coming up. Okay, so I'll say, um, I guess my favorite one was going to be when I um, did an event for Bad Moms because I loved the IP so much. Um, it wasn't crazy experiential. 
Um, but basically what we did was I took over the iHeartRadio Theater in Burbank. And we got a ton of mom bloggers and mom influencers. I'm not a mom myself. I just really like the film. Um, and then um, we ended up having like a photo activation. We, we had them scream the film early. Um, but we did two surprise and delight moments, which were one, um, we had Cass come out. And they didn't know Cass was coming. Very typical. Um, but the second one was we had Flo Rida perform because he did the closing credit song for us, um, which was Welcome to My House. And because of those two surprise and delight moments that our audience probably won't ever have the opportunity to experience again, um, we ended up trending on Twitter that night, which was really exciting. Um, and it was just a night filled with laughter and fun and, you know, no expectations whatsoever. Um, and for me, just watching everybody experiencing that, like that's the high I get. You know, my success, yes, can be through earned media, but if somebody is willing to come into my space and just take a photo because they feel like what they're experiencing right now is worth living beyond tonight, that is success for me. I'll, even if I only get 100 mentions, the fact that someone took the time to put my event in their personal lives and their experiences, and that's what all those moms did. And so that would be mine. Go ahead. I, I, <laughs> well, I, my favorite project is generally the one I'm working on. Uh, I really, really do answer. love working, but I think one of the most special ones we've done, I, I should have brought that video, is uh, it, it was uh, an event for The Alienist. It was a Turner show, and um, we put so much heart into that one, and we took over the Paramount lot over the Brooklyn set, and we made it snow for the whole duration of the night, and we tapped into, like, a complete story-driven element where we gave the guests on arrival in the movie theater, we, we made up newspapers uh, with planted stories so that they could like read and start getting the storyline. Then when they arrived onto the set, the first location was a shop and we dressed them in character. So then all the guests looked like turn of the century, like 1989. Uh, we had the VIP section, we actually closed it off and you had to have a password to be able to get in there, which created FOMO within like an exclusive event. And then to like wrap and end it all, we went completely over the top. We booked dancers, we assembled an orchestra, we composed music that was based on <laughs> different clips of the show. And then we took the second episode that people hadn't seen and presented it to them within the story world in a completely like new and unique way. And this was also a surprise to the filmmakers that were there and they got to see their kind of creation in a new light. It was, uh, yeah, it, w it was really special. We've got, uh, we've got a case study of that on our website, but that was, I don't, I don't know, maybe 150 people involved in creating that and like everyone being so passionate and putting so much heart and love into that one night event. You know, and then it disappeared. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll be quick. Um, these are all really great, by the way. Um, now, I firmly believe in my heart of hearts that my latest project for Shaquille O'Neal, the New Year's Eve Metaverse, was by far, like, I think that was... That was so cool. Yeah, I think, I mean, it just, let's, let's just talk about it. Like, it wasn't about midnight. It was about midnight in every country in America, I mean, every country in the, in the globe, right? So you've never seen a New Year's Eve celebration like that. And so... The audience size was just so 
big and just so satisfying to see all the comments from around the globe in there saying how how this made them feel. And I, for me, I'm just I'm just really proud of that work and really proud of pushing the envelope in that regard. Um, but you know, and I I really believe that's you know one of the favorite things I've I've done. But one that I did not do myself about. 15 years ago, I was part of the RuPaul's Drag Race launch, right? And it was a, it was before before social media was like that heavy, so like you didn't share it as much. So it was really about what happened that night, and I never forget. We're all there. It's everybody's there, right? And we're at this bar. We're all drinking. It's a DJ. We're getting drunk, and it's a it's a it's a party. And you think it's only a party. And there's this innocuous like curtain that's there in the party, right? And then all of a sudden, the curtain raises and there's go-karts for everybody. And we're all drunk, and we all jump on go-karts and have a blast while there's a DJ in drag playing awesome music, and there are drag queens on the roller skating rink and on the, the, the go-kart floor, and the, it, it was like bumper cars by the bumper cars. And so it was, it was safe. And I mean, that was like, I remember it, it was so many moments where it just kept heightening and going higher and higher and higher. I was just like, this is, this is the best ever. I, what am I gonna do now? I have no idea. That was my favorite event. I, w- I want to try. I want to try and top that one day if I can. Fantastic. It's drags and doing drag racing. That's right. And we'll yeah. leave it with that. That's amazing. Yeah, no one can top that. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. So inspiring, you guys. So inspiring. I cannot wait to dive deep, you know, into my own projects. To have you guys dive into your projects. And let's everybody, let's do our best and we're gonna succeed without doubt. Look at these amazing experts, everybody. Alas, I can't, I can't wait to do a part two because I need to know more. Everybody, Alyssa, Jay, Sterling, Michael, and myself, Jennifer. Thank you so much for making thank this you, an everyone. awesome night, everybody. Thank you. Without you, our wonderful audience and attendees, we would just be having a coffee clutch. You know, which would be fun, but it wouldn't be quite as fabulous. Thank you so, so much. You're here tonight. That means you're on our email list because you all signed up and put your email in. So you're going to be getting the survey link from us tomorrow to fill it out and get a chance to win final draft. Ladies and gentlemen, you are awesome. Thank you so much. We will see you again soon. Thanks. And thanks to Jen for moderating.